This is the Women Emerging Expedition Podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, welcome, welcome from Botswana again. <laughs> this is Julian Middleton, expedition leader. Last week's episode was about Botswana and this one is too. It's sort of the flip side of last week's episode, looking at the dance that women have to perform, even in an amazing place like Botswana, where there are so many amazing women leaders. Not surprising in a country where 82% of the families are, are led, are single mothers, led by single women. That must catapult women into leadership. It's not surprising. So this is the flip side of last week's episode. It's also the sort of practical side of last week's episode because here you're going to get two women who are going to give you the chapter and verse, the detail of their survival skills. Both of these episodes were made possible because of Rebecca, because she, she chose to gather some amazing women across Botswana and, and focus them on, on answering my question, which is, if the expedition is to resonate with women in Botswana, what must it address? And also, what must it not miss out? Rebecca, this is the second of the two episodes about Botswana that you have you have brought about by bringing so many of your friends together, um, and they have generously spoken to us. And last week, it was completely fascinating, and and I and I began to really understand why you why you said the expedition up to now has not felt like home to me. And last week's episode helped me understand that a lot. This is you know, Botswana is a country where women lead, but there's an elegance to that leadership. Even if it's true, it's a it's a very elegant, it's a very elegant line to walk. And maybe this episode is is interviewing two women, Pelanomi and Wema, about how difficult it is. But what fun in many ways. Well, it's mainly difficult, but also there's some fun to 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 walking this line. Now, I think we have let's be honest, the first interview is with your mother. What's it like to interview your mother first? Gosh, that was the most frightening experience. I I can notch down for sure. <laughs> I think it's because our, our characters are very similar. And I know her, her, her traits and I know her, her little ticks when she goes on. And I was like, okay, I can see this is going to go somewhere. <laughs> so it, 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 I was quite nervous, but also extremely proud um, because there's no better person that I feel personally 
that could truly represent what I'm looking for, what I have been looking for in the expedition. Who better than the person who taught me who I am than her to be the person who would speak? <laughs> As we're about to listen to this, I think the sense of jealousy that you would <laughs> that you would have a mother who's quite as extraordinary as this is overwhelming. And of course, she, she talks right through the interview as if, as if this is in the past, but now she's launched herself into lots of new things. But, but that's not what this interview is about. This interview is about this really interesting concept that you can be a leader, but don't reveal that you have any power. That's fascinating. So, um, Let's get going. This is Rebecca's mum. We, the women, we got caught in the narrative that it, men do it better. They don't. They just happen to have, it's, it is the power battle. They took control of the power. The power, they, be, they believe it belongs to them because the biblical thing they are the head of the family, they are the breadwinner, they are the muscular. Because of the protection and security, they must be the ones that go out in the world and do this. And therefore, the worldly positions should be theirs. And therefore, we must sort of come in under their wing. So they took the power narrative and supplanted that into the leadership argument. So I fumble like this uh, on leadership because I've always thought it is something that people do. And I've always gone out there and done it. And as a result, I've been hurt badly because I go out there and I do it. And sometimes, quite often, I might pride myself and say, you do it sometimes better than a couple of men who were hoping you would fail. And they don't take kindly to that kind of thing. It's only when they start stepping on your toes, then you realize, oops, perhaps I shouldn't have done that. And then if you have a mouth, like some of us, <laughs> you, you then realize that not only did you lead and excel, you've also upset the power base. So the question is, how do we lead and how do we handle power as women? Because power is supposed to be a terrain for the men. And if you start playing in that area of leadership, how do you lead if you don't show the power? Now, this is where the, the, male, the, the male thing comes in. Women can lead, but they shouldn't show any power. The point I was raising, that you can lead all you want if you are in this context, particularly in this culture but you cannot display power. The, the male world doesn't see leadership. Often they don't build humility into leadership. They often see leadership, if you are humble, if you are the soft type of leader, some people think you're weak. So it is not the soft type of leadership is sometimes frowned upon. So a lot of uh, most or a lot of leaders generally they tend to want to carry some degree of agro with it to remind people of who the leader is all the time. And this is why 
sometimes some of our leaders, even female, they end up taking an aggressive, you know, you can be aggressive in being persistent. You can be aggressive in demanding certain standards, but aggressive, not brash. I don't know how you can be positive, aggressive. When the male chooses to undercut you, even where you are being politely aggressive, demanding things to be done properly in the most subdued of languages, you will still be abused as being bossy, unfortunately, in the Sotswana culture, because you are now exercising muscle, which you are not supposed to have. For instance, if you tell a male colleague that they are wrong, where do you come from to know male wrong? Because male wrong can only be seen by the boys, you see. And that, that, that's where some of us learned the hard way that you, you, you don't show a boy that he's wrong. You tell them, uh, you, you, I don't know how you tell them, but you just tell them, oops, my eyes saw something that isn't right. I don't know how, you find that funny language, just tell them, look, you, you messed up. For instance, to not give an instruction to a man. That is just a cultural thing out there. Or even if you are to give an instruction to a man, your intonation of the instruction to take a certain form for you to remember that you are talking to a man. Palanavi, give me an example of this. As I recall, my own, in my own situation, when I was supervising male colleagues where I would give an instruction and it would go ignored. They just wouldn't do it. And I would call, follow up and ask, may I please have the results of the instruction I gave? Oh, I see, you wanted it today. And I said, yes, but I put a deadline on it. Oh, I see, I didn't, I'm sorry, I forgot. And they would do that twice, thrice, until you raise your voice. And you can tell that it is clear it's not that they didn't understand the instruction, they did, but they just wanted to see how far you would go. So you, you go through moments like that. It's more or less like you have to justify your existence because if you don't push, they will just sit there and watch you fail. How did you do it? How have you managed all these 40 years and then still come out, I would say, on now, top? To answer the question, how have I survived? Very simply that I have told, I, found, I figured out much earlier on that as an individual, I have a mandate to perform and I'm very clear about what I'm supposed to do. I believe in my capabilities on the mandate assigned to me and I'm going to do it. And for as long as I know that I'm doing the right thing Honestly, I'm not going to be deterred by criticism, which I know is based on things that have got nothing to do with the work that I do. I don't think there are people who have been investigated at work as many times as I have. But those investigations fell 
some of them just died before they started because they were based on things that didn't match up to the truth that I use when I do my work because I live the institution, I live by its regulations and anything I do is based on the regulations and the rules of the institution. So if anyone were, were to even challenge anything I had done, they would find that what I did was in fact in line with the rules of the institution. So they, they never did get anywhere because I never have motive outside of the rules of what I do. So that's how I survived. Truth. Truth and pure brawn. Now I can look back and go, hey, my goodness, you know, it's tough out there. You use the expression, prepare yourself. What do you need to prepare yourself for? And, and, and of course, how? You never can prepare yourself, absolutely. But there will be, you will be misunderstood. There will be backlash. People will retaliate. You will be called names. You will be labeled. You will, there'll be all sorts of things. And as it happened, you know, I was attacked even by fellow women. In fact, mostly by fellow women. The, the harshest attack came from women. So, and I wasn't surprised that it, for me, the, 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 the attack people were saying, isn't it surprising that it is women that are attacking you? And, I, and my reaction was, well, I don't think they are attacking me to defend the men. I think some of them are attacking me because maybe they would have liked to do what I'm doing and I have moved quicker than they wanted to or I beat them to something they had wished to do or I've done something they wanted to do but they were too scared to do. I don't know, there were all sorts of reasons. So yes, you have to prepare yourself because what looks okay to you, what looks okay in your conscience, even if you have cleaned it out and you totally believe in it, isn't always the right thing to other people because other people aren't you. Other people haven't lived your life. Other people haven't experienced what you have experienced. And they don't have the, the, the narrative or the data that you have to reason with. And, so, and also, men have known how to use us against each other. Even if they don't use us, use us against each other, they, because they hold the power, and because sometimes some of us need them to access that power, I think what we need to learn as women is that leadership can bring you the power you need if you do it properly. Because power grows with what you do. Because as people see what you do consistently and constantly, and there's truth and there's results, that grows your power base. But if you allow your history, your decisions, the things that you do to be overshadowed by some male person, you will never be visible. And therefore your power will always be under the shadow of somebody. 
So sometimes it's healthy as women to go out there, do your things, even your mistakes, let them come out there. Let you, allow yourself to fall and get up and watch people see you get up and dust yourself how you dust yourself, how you clean yourself up and come out again. That is how you build your power. And that's how people will respect you. And that's how they will know who you are. And this is why boys get scared because they saw you. They know how powerful you are. For me, it, like the Americans would say, it don't bother me none. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Pelanomi. I think we all recognize a powerful lady, a powerful leader ourselves. Thank you so, so much. The next person in this episode is Wemma, who decided um, long ago to lead from a very, very different place from Pelanomi. She chose to lead from the back. But it has to be said, I think she's leading from the back with her eye very, very firmly on that front position. For me, when I sit, even when I speak in boardrooms and I give advice in whatever setting, I recognize the fact that I have to be mindful as to how I approach certain topics because it's good to be a leader or strong to be able to communicate. But sometimes the mere fact that you're a woman and you're young, you might have to be tactful as to how you get your message across. Your male counterpart could say something today and it'd be okay, but you try and say it tomorrow and the reaction could be totally different. So you find that you now need to be able to read the room, not just in terms of words, but in terms of body language and actually say to yourself, should I raise this here now or how best can I get my message across without it being subjected to the patriarchal bias that might come from behind the message? And it doesn't appear all the time, but it depends on the subject matter. What I do now is when I realize that there's sticky things that need to be discussed, I've now opted that I'm better off speaking to my um, chief executive on the side. We have our discussion and I manage to get more things approved because he will then come and table it as though it's his own. So it's not me looking for glory that I made the decision or I advised him. I'm, I'm reaching my objective. I've decided sometimes it's good to lead from behind because you want the objective to be reached as opposed to wanting to show that this was my idea because there'll be the bias that, oh, it's her. Oh, it's, it's the young girl who speaks a lot and is, you know, and, and is aggressive. And they use aggressive not because I'm being aggressive, but because you state things the way they are so now when you sit in those situations and you understand the dynamics of the room and you're aware of your cultural differences and you're emotionally intelligent enough to understand that this might have a backlash, you need to be more strategic. By colluding with it, are you living in the real world or are you perpetuating the old world? 
Well, let me answer that. You need to first understand the battle that you're in before you can prepare for the war that's going to come. The best way of succeeding sometimes is to take the Trojan horse. Fight from within the system. Because if you do not get close to those who are the decision, the real decision makers and influence that thinking without them realizing you're influencing that thinking, then you're not going anywhere. But this is not something that's going to happen overnight. But you do things. You, you get people to understand you're thinking better. You're able to be a close advisor. You're able to then put programs and certain things in place for those who are coming behind you. And our population as well is more women than men. So to some extent, there is no option but to have women around the table because the women in terms of numbers are also the voters. So what are you going to do? You'd put a few of them around the table as well, wouldn't you? So the question then becomes, as a woman, if you understand the paradigm in which you operate, how best do you make the system work for you so that you can make effective change? And effectively, that is the elegant dance. Should we have to do it? My answer is no. Do we have to do it? My answer is yes, if you want to effect change. Just explain for the people who are listening what the elegant dance is. The elegant dance is a few things. You need to be aware of issues. You need to be aware of those around the table. You need to be aware of nuances. You need to obviously be ahead of the pack. Don't get tired of reading and understanding and researching because knowledge really is power. For you to speak around that table and for your voice to be heard, come from a place of authority. So as a woman undertaking that elegant dance, for you to be the best performer on that dance floor, you better have your facts up straight. You better know what you're talking about. There's no, there's no point in opening your mouth and not having something solid to say. So you need to be confident. You need to be assertive. You need to be knowledgeable. And you also need to be robust in your expression because you can't go there and somebody says, what do you mean? And then you say, no, you know, it's okay. No, hold your ground. Be firm, but be polite, be respectful. Don't forget about your culture. You get a lot more from people when you're humble and respectful rather than being rude and brash. So the dance is all those elements put together. The dance ultimately is about recognizing that as a woman, you've been given a place at the table and there may be other women at the table with you, but do not let men think that they're not still in charge. Feed them your best ideas so that they can claim them as theirs. And you can quietly know that, that you had a part to play in them, yeah. but you have to play the dance. You have to do the dance. Do the dance because recognition speaks for itself. I don't believe in doing something and then saying, I did this. What you have a hand in will show and it'll come out. The truth always comes out because remember, if an idea is not yours, you cannot implement it. So who will it be given to? Even if an idea is thrown on the table, who would it be given to to implement? 
back to you, the originator of the idea. And when you're implementing it, that's when your glory is going to come. But your idea would have gotten the approval at the table because you did the dance to get it to the table. That all makes sense if more and more women are not having to do the dance. Well, we have to dance now so those behind us don't dance. They can just come and sit and talk. But We're I not get, at that stage. I get that impression from speaking to Rebecca's mother. She's well, had she's... to do the dance and then Rebecca's had to do the dance. And I wouldn't be surprised if Rebecca's daughter would have to do the dance too. <laughs> well, I think all of us need to start doing the same dance and open a dance troupe so that those who come after us don't have to continue dancing. I think the problem is if you do the dance for too long and by yourself and without having a network, you're going to perpetuate the dance. So my belief is sessions like this is creating the network. We understand the dance, we teach each other the steps, and then we just have a huge movement where everybody knows the art of doing the elegant dance so that we don't have to dance forever. Our grandkids, the ladies, the females coming up should not have to do the dance. They should not have to fight to be around the table. They should not have to continue being gagged so that some other male's voice can be put first before theirs, no. But for me, this is, is the start of putting all the dances and the efforts together into one fluid movement that we all understand as women in leadership roles so that we don't have to have this battle going on forever. Until when? So this expedition aims to create an approach to leadership that resonates with women. And for you and for Rebecca to feel that this is something familiar and it's a voice that sounds like home, which is the expression that Rebecca's used. Mm. It has to help women figure out how to do this dance. Exactly. Of, of letting men or encouraging men to believe that they're still in control and to go in as a Trojan horse. Pretty much. There's this saying that my mom always said to me. She says, if you want to cook a frog, you first keep it in the temperature that it's used to. If you're getting it from a pond, you put it at pond temperature and you put it on the stove and you don't start blasting at 100 degrees because it'll jump out. By its nature, it'll adjust its temperature to its surroundings. So you slowly turn up the temperature bit by bit. And before the frog knows it, it is cooked. So that is the art of doing the dance. You're How am I going to explain this to my poor son? <laughs> you, my darling, you, my darling, are a frog. I am a frog. <laughs> <laughs> and we are slowly turning the temperature up on you. Now, well... We call I it social engineering. Solution. I hope my son has already, he's already hit high temperatures because he's had me as his mother. But it's, <laughs> it's still a quite tough thing, isn't it? So we'll yes. just don't show men what's coming. 
And this no. is the advice from Botswana because Botswana has been actually switching up the temperature on the frog for some time. So in Botswana, women are already at the table. They're already running most of the households. Yes. They're already, they always were strong-minded, tough women that were hard to knock over. But yeah. so the temperature's going up, but the final part of the temperature is to carry on letting men think they're in control till you get up to the real temperatures and then to take charge. You just take charge. I think it's more effective because even physically speaking, a man cannot take on a woman. A woman cannot take on a man in a physical fight. So let's take it psychological. That's all we're doing. We're using our strength, which is here. As she points to her head. Yes, I point to my head, yes. <laughs> With total confidence. Of course. Do you meet women who profess to go out to be, to boil a frog? And they say, once I'm at the table, I'll change the table. And then surprise, surprise, the table tends to stay the same once they've got to it. Then I would say that women who are like that then have lost focus or the plot. You need to understand who you are as a person and what your personal goals and objectives are. You also need to understand what your contribution in society is. It's not just about you. I'm human. I, I get my money. I go home. I live. No, there's a role that you play because you might be passing through. Your generations will pass through. But what you do today will impact generations to come. So. I don't think many women would openly say that they're doing the dance or cooking the frog because that's basically giving away the strategy. But <laughs> I'm hoping that part of this um, podcast and the network is to just tell women that it's okay to plan ahead and be strategic the best way you know how to, to achieve your overall objective. To me, that's basically the message. So if you get to the table and just serve yourself, you're not really being Botswana. You're not being a Botswana woman. You're not. You're not. Culturally, back in the day when there was harvest, the whole community will get together to help each other um, to help each other harvest, and they'll share the food because it's a community. But I also believe that if we put too much capitalist tendencies into the way we live. We're going against our basic DNA as being Africans. We're not stitched to be like that. And we need to remember that, and this is another saying of my mom, she says, never be stingy with food because the only recipient at the end of the day is the sewage system. It doesn't stay in your belly. So we shouldn't be greedy as human beings. We should think of tomorrow, think of the future. And as women in leadership roles, we must instill the duty to bring up the communities. We must instill the duty to do what is good for the community, for the country, looking at the future and not just today and tomorrow. Because then we're going to dance. Yes, then we're, we're starting to dance the dance more elegantly. <laughs> So, yeah. I'll dance with you any day. Oh, 
remember there's that song dance dance wherever you may be we're just going to change it to she exactly now you get it we are cooking the frog <laughs> I love Botswana. <laughs> so how about that? Kalanomi <laughs> and Wema have challenged us, I think. Rebecca, if we if we if we finished our first episode last week with you very proud of being a woman from Botswana, maybe symbolized by the curry bustard. We must finish this episode with no doubt you feeling a sort of mixture of being that some of the expressions on this episode will live with me forever, I think. But what are the ones that for you will sort of haunt you and what are the ones that will inspire you? So throughout both of them, I, I had complete expressions of what? Oh my goodness, I had, I was having, I was, I had a plethora of expression, if I can use that correct. <laughs> it was quite scary. But at the same time, I'm like, why are you giving things away, Weber? That's our stuff. Or, you know, telling my, thinking to my mom, what? Dust yourself off? Stand up? And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, these are things that we hear all the time and we've always been surrounded by them. But then at the same time, it's like, well, of course. What else is there to do? I mean, if there's nothing better that any woman does and is standing up, you know, falling, dusting yourself off and keep going and moving forward because there's no other choice but to do that. And it's, it's that type of expressions where I was like, okay, yeah, it's an obvious statement, but my goodness, how powerful is it to hear it from somebody like my mom. Because then it's like, you know, yeah, I can actually count the number of times when I saw that happen at home. And it is true to see and to hear it and to feel it. So that would be the inspiring one, an, ins an, an inspiration on something so obvious, but so true. When Wemma was mentioning about the frog, and I was like, you know, that is the one game I don't think I ever was able to succeed at. I failed all the time. I just don't know how to keep my mouth quiet because you just heard my mother speaking. So you understand where that's coming from. <laughs> They're both equally haunting and inspirational. There's no two ways about it that you can have the same feeling so close. That fine line is exactly that fine line. This is scary but this is also, my goodness, I'm going and I'm part of this bus or this train or this <laughs> engine. I'm part of it. And I'm proud. Many, many thanks to the women of Botswana, to the women leaders of Botswana who've helped create these two episodes and to Rebecca for bringing the voices, their voices to us. It has been a joy and a delight. And one day I will go to Botswana and dance with all. 
Um, remember that in two days' time, the um, the third expedition live will take place. It's um, remember, this is when me and one member of the expedition just just come on live um, on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and answer your questions and pick up your ideas and share our own thoughts. The um, just for about forty minutes. Uh, this time, my fellow expedition member will be Falawi Omikunle, who uh, <laughs> I cannot recommend too highly. A most glorious leader in Nigeria. It's therefore, of course, on Friday the twelfth of September, and it's at twelve p.m. UK time. The um, we'll ask Falawi lots of questions about dancing in Nigeria, about boiling frogs in Nigeria and how it's going and how far they've got and whether in Nigeria you can reveal that you're both a woman leader but also a powerful woman leader. Be interesting. Join us. Can't wait. Lots of love. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love you to follow the expedition and provide your own stories and perspectives. You can do this by subscribing to this podcast and joining the Women Emerging Group on LinkedIn, where you can have your say. 